Morning, church. What a blessing to be here today. I do want to encourage you guys to continue uh, to pray for all those in Kentucky and other states that were impacted and also to uh, to give to One Kingdom to help some of those lives. Uh, we're excited this morning. Merry Christmas. We have a very special scripture reader today. We got a whole parcel of them known as the Thundering Herd. Uh, some of our WFR kids. So you guys ready? All right, we're going to turn it over to you. How about that? Excellent, excellent work. Luke 2, 7 through 14 was that familiar passage. I've never heard it so well as we did today. Acted out and everything. Fantastic. We do welcome you guys here to WFR, our live stream audience. It's always a blessing to have you. And really, this season is about thinking about our future, right? We think about Christmas We think about kids, we think about waking up on Christmas morning, being so excited. But as has already been mentioned here today, we think first and foremost about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah of the world. This week, billions will celebrate his birth. And I say praise God for that. We join him in that. I do want to encourage you Christmas Eve. We have a WFR tradition uh, we've been, I think this is our 11th year uh, to have a Christmas Eve service. Mike and I will be speaking. We'll be worshiping and giving God praise for his coming and his birth. We'll have more to say about his birth as well as his death, which is why he came. For the second straight year, last year we were in the book of John. This year we're in the book of Matthew. We not only celebrate the birth of Jesus during this uh, Christmas season, but we're also talking about the passion. Of Jesus, 
what he really came here for. And we didn't necessarily plan it that way, but as it turns out, it's pretty good to remember both at the same time. Because while we are overjoyed that God became flesh, what saves us, what frees us, is that he went to the cross. And so that's what we're going to be talking about the next couple of Sundays. Um, We're going to be talking about exactly what he did for each and every one of us. You know, uh, people watch Christmas movies, and we certainly have been doing that at our house. Everybody has their favorite. And it got me thinking about the power of movies and what they do and the tradition uh, that they give you. And sometimes it's new traditions, sometimes it's old ones. And I got to thinking this last week as I was preparing for this about some of my favorite films that aren't necessarily Christmas films. And just recently I watched the movie Braveheart, which is one of my all-time favorites, made in 1995. And when I watched it, I thought watching it this time of year, how much when Mel Gibson put that movie together, how much it mirrored his film later, 10 years later, The Passion of the Christ. There were two men who found themselves in a lonely place of having to sacrifice their own lives for freedom of other people. They had totally different motivations. One was revenge in the beginning, but ultimately the last words were freedom. The other was motivated by love, complete and utter and unconditional love. And they were also both betrayed by people that they thought were in their corner, were behind them, were close to them, and that led to their deaths. Today, that's what we're going to be talking about in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 47, if you'd like to turn there or punch in on your phone. Last week, Mike talked about Judas betraying Jesus. He finally snapped for that 30 pieces of silver. And so the plot is now afoot for him to be killed. But of course, we know that he really came for that purpose. So no matter what the plot was thought up or hatched, the idea is that Jesus knew all along. He was going to do the right thing. He also predicted Peter's disowning that would happen, of course, on this very night. There was also that moment in the garden, which I've always found to be the most human of all Jesus's time on the earth. It was a moment of anguish. It was a moment of loneliness. He realized in the garden in that moment that it was his task and his task alone. And even the setup, because you remember he had three different times where he prayed. He went to his small community and says, just just hang in there with me through the night. But they couldn't. They were sleepy. They didn't feel the weight that Jesus felt by knowing he had to do what he had to do. And that's difficult for him. And for all of us, I think about all the times that Jesus was surrounded by crowds of people. And now this very night, he finds himself utterly alone. We're going to pick up in verse 45, which is where Mike left off last week, because the lonely path to freedom to the right place many times means that you have to go it alone. This happens in our own lives every single day. To do the right thing, you usually don't have the crowds of people lining up with you. And yet still it's the right thing to do. Verse 45. Then he returned to his disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, 
the hour has come and the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. This is it, boys. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And while the disciples are wiping the sleep out of their eyes and trying to come to recognition of where they are, you notice Jesus is facing it head on. It's time. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Many of the same people who had been sitting at his feet, listening to him teach, marveling at all he did, no answers for what he was doing. Now they've got clubs and swords. They went from those that marvel to those that are a mob. And it seemed like it happened overnight. What do you do when you can't win a debate of ideas? You really have two choices. You can't win the debate, so you can listen, and you can submit to the idea because you can't defeat it, and then it can change your mind and change your heart. It happens to people all the time. I thought I was right. I was wrong. Or you have a second choice. You form a mob, and you try to silence the one you can't defeat. And that's what the leaders of this day decided to do. By the way, people are still doing it. They just call it cancel culture now. They're still a mob. They still can't win the ideas. So what do they do? They personally attack you. They try to destroy you. And they try to make sure you have no voice. Unfortunately, in the first century, cancel culture was a lot more dangerous than just a smear of your reputation. Now the betrayer, verse 48, had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man arrested. Going at once to Jesus, Judah said, greetings, rabbi. And he kissed him. Kiss of death. I've seen enough mafia movies to know what the kiss of death means, right? The Caporegine, the boss, gives the kiss to the betrayer of the family, marking him for death. Sleeping with the fishes, right? This time the betrayer gives the kiss. The most intimate greeting in this culture, one of affection. I've told you before, 30 years ago, I went into Eastern culture and the first time some, a man kissed me on my cheeks, it totally freaked me out. It used to beard stubble on my face, unless it's mine. But you know, after three weeks, I realized in the intimacy of brothers and sisters, what a great greeting it really was. Unless it was the one to betray. Jesus says... Do what you came for, friend. Now you just think about those words. He didn't say, you betrayer, you've done this to me, you've done this to your people, you've done this to your Lord. He called him friend. 
I dare say that out of all the things that Jesus could have said to Judas, nothing probably hurt more than to be called friend in the moment you literally stabbed him in the back. Look at verse 50. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Now, we know, of course, from John 18 that this was Peter, the impetuous one. And apparently he thought he was in Braveheart and not in the Passion. Because he was going to settle this with the sword. We know from Luke 22 that Jesus took Malchus's ear and put it back on. Just a little quick moment that happens. That seems like a footnote in history, but I meant it meant a lot to Malchus. You know what I got to thinking about? Maybe Jesus knew he would need that ear to hear the gospel after his resurrection. It certainly didn't help him with the high priest, but it meant a lot to Malchus. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. And ultimately, that's why freedom of nations, that's why the freedom we even enjoy in our nation, ultimately will fall and fail. Because when we live by the sword, we die by the sword. We need something more. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? I mean, we've seen in the scriptures what one angel is capable of. Can you imagine legions? In other words, this isn't about fighting. I didn't come to overthrow. But how would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? That's what I love about Jesus. He's got the task, he knows what has to happen, and he's on the path. And it will not change. Every time I read the story, I want to change it because I love my Lord. He says, I came to fulfill, not to overthrow. In that hour, verse 55, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sit in the temple courts teaching You did not arrest me. What happened to those times? But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. And when he said that, now for the second time, guess what happened? Then the disciples deserted him and fled. A proclamation of truth that will change humanity forever And he's ultimately alone. But he didn't waver. Because he went to the right place. It's also a lonely path when there's ultimate injustice. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 57 through 62, Jesus is taken to the high priest in the Sanhedrin. And basically they've convened a kangaroo court. Because they've got to find a legal way to kill him. See, they're limited. They're under, they got a lot of bosses. 
They've got Herod the king. They've got the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. They're under occupation. And from a political standpoint, we can understand this. You got this religious sect and you don't really want to deal with them. But if they just start deciding who dies and who doesn't, that may upset the apple cart up the line. What if they mark you for death, Pontius Pilate? Anytime you have a small group of people trying to control a large group of people, you got to keep things like this under control. So they've got to come up with some legal way to kill Jesus. The problem is he's perfect. He's never done anything wrong. He's never broken any laws. How do you kill a man like this legally? You don't. You just come up with a sham. That's what they did. And while they were lying and posturing and telling all their fake news, you know what Jesus did? Nothing. He remained silent. Again, alone. Finally, the high priest says, verse 63, I charge you under oath by the living God. I'm sure that got Jesus' attention because he is the living God. All right, lay it on me. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. He's pretty much been saying it now for over a year. But he asked the question anyway. You have said so. Jesus replied, and now he's fixing to double down. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. You ain't seen nothing yet. Well, how did the good people respond to that? Not well. The chief priest tore his clothes He has spoken blasphemy. Who does he think he is? The living God? Yeah. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look now, you've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? Don't you love it when political leaders ask the people? They've already told you what they're going to do. What do you guys think? They said he is worthy of death. Now that struck me when I read that this week because from a legal perspective and in this setting in this situation that's not true he was not worthy of death he had done nothing to deserve what they were about to do and yet from a jesus perspective and a divine perspective he was worthy and i think about that beautiful worship revelation 5 worthy is the lamb that was slain worthy He's worthy of praise. He's worthy of glory. He's worthy of honor. He's worthy of song. Oh, he was worthy. He didn't deserve death. And yet they were going to kill him. But look, they just didn't want to kill him. They wanted to smear him and demean him. Because look what happens next in verse 67. Then they spit in his face. I mean, let's face it, even to this day, that's the most disgusting thing anybody could do, right? Is walk up and spit in your face. They spit in our Lord's face. They struck him with their fist. Others slapped him. And then they mocked him. Prophesy to us, Messiah. Who hit you? 
And you can hear the laughs as they beat him. Alone. No justice. Nobody with him. As we continue to read on in verse 69 through 27, we see what happens. He's already predicted to his friends that he thought he could depend on. It's really a tale of two betrayals. First, of course, there's Judas. Then there's Peter. Both were predicted. But both had a moment of realization. Peter later is going to recognize what he did. Unfortunately for Judas, his realization came too late for himself. Verse 3 of chapter 27. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. Oh, just take the money back. Let's dial it back. He doesn't deserve this. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. In that moment, he recognizes what he's done. And you know he's hearing those words ringing in his ear. Do what you came to do, friend. It's too late. The wheels of injustice are now rolling. Of course, uh, I guess uh, evil is not a very good companion because collaborators don't share in your conscience. They said, what is that to us? That's your problem. You see how evil works? This is why you can't trust Satan. It seems like the right thing to do. You get involved, you're in some evil behavior, and then all of a sudden you're exposed at the worst possible time. And you say, why did this happen to me? And the evil one says, not my problem. Not my problem. Like George Foreman. What is that to us? So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. We know later what happened as a result. Distraught, he takes his own life. That money is now blood money. So it's used to buy the very field that he committed suicide in. And you know from Acts chapter 1, it was a gruesome scene, his death. And his name is still cursed to this day. What a sad story for Judas Iscariot. Peter, of course, denied Jesus three times in the courtyard. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. I don't know the blankety-blank man. I told you. Three times. Immediately, verse 74 of 26, a rooster crowed. Jesus said that would be the signal of recognition. Morning has come. The very moment. Peter denies him the third time. Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. We get a little bit of a caveat from Luke twenty-two sixty-one, And we realize that that also at that very moment, somehow Jesus is able to see Peter and they lock eyes. Can you imagine what Peter was thinking? 
I'm betting he heard the words, do what you came to do, friend. Then Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Like Judas, he recognized what he had done. He had turned his back on his Lord and Savior. But instead of going out to a field and hanging himself, he waited. He waited three days. And upon the resurrection, Peter was restored. I talk to people all the time that are facing difficult circumstances because of bad choices, sinful decisions. And they say, I just want to do this. And I know it's not the right way. And they know it's not the right way. And I always say, can you just wait? Can you at least give it three days? Everything can change in three days. It did for Peter. It did for us. Sometimes it's a lonely walk to do the right thing. He repented. He submitted. And then he became the leader of the church. Not bad for a guy that denied Jesus on the night of his death. I think it shows all of us that we can come back from anything. Amen? Well, the last, the last bit of loneliness for Jesus is also bad. There's always pretenders and politicians and people that somehow think they know better. So we get to Matthew 27. 11, they brought now Jesus to the final arbiter. The only one that really has the power to say he dies is this Roman governor. But he really has no power, does he? He thinks he does. He's a pretender. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And we know, of course, from the other letters that Pontius Pilate doesn't want to get involved in this. He, he can see nothing wrong. He has no dog in the hunt, except he doesn't want a rebellion. And so like most politicians, he thinks he can come up with a crafty plan to fix this situation. Are you the king of the Jews? Well, you said so, Jesus said. And then he triples down. Listen to John 18, John's version, verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by these Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then. You say that I'm a king. In fact, it is for this reason that I was born and came into this world. To testify to the truth. Now, here's that lonely walk that gets us to the main place, to live for the truth. And then Pilate, of course, puts on his full politician garb and says, what is truth? Well, we got a lot of pilots running around today, don't we? Your truth, my truth. What is truth? Through the ages. People have hid behind that lie. There is no truth. So you got a pretending politician, you got a lying group of threatened religious leaders, and now you got an angry mob. And so Pilate comes up with a plan. I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to get the worst possible person. And because I'm such a good guy, 
I'm going to offer you the choice to have one of these released. And it can be this really good guy who says he's your king, or it can be this terrible guy who all of us recognize he needs justice. They're problem fixed. Politicians come up with a good bill. We're going to build back better right here. The bloodthirsty crowd said, crucify Jesus. You see, now we've left truth. Even a person who everyone can recognize deserves justice. Let him go. But kill the one who's done nothing wrong. What has happened to truth? And people are doing it again. Every day. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, verse 24, but that instead an uproar was starting. Uh Uh-oh. We don't care about truth, but we don't need an uproar. The only thing that gets him in a sling with the emperor is to have an uproar. And he'll kill whoever he has to. To make sure that doesn't happen. He took water. He washed his hands in front of the crowd. And he said, I am innocent of this man's blood. It is your responsibility. Once again, we have no conscience with collaborators, right? I wash my hands of it. Well, it sounds like a lot of politicians I know blame everybody else. All the people said his blood is on us. And on our children, and man, there were words no more true than that. Wait about 40 years and see what happens to these same people that don't repent. A lot of blood. A million or more. Then he released Barabbas, but he had Jesus flogged, and he handed him over to be crucified. More unspeakable horrors on our Lord. More threats, more mocking. And finally, execution on a cross. So Jesus was betrayed by his close friends, by the Jewish religious leadership, by the Jewish people, his people. And now by the system of government that supposedly was there to protect truth. That's how rotten it all was and still is. But Jesus did it anyway. Why? That's your question this morning. Why? You know why? It's that last word from Braveheart. Oh, William Wallace. Read up. There you go. That's the word. That's why he went to that cross. He did it for our freedom. And the freedom of those who were killing him. The ones who would stand there in Acts chapter 2, after Peter reminded them of exactly what they did, a restored, renewed Peter, he told them this story. He said, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. But he did it for your sins. And he was raised. And he left and went back to the right hand of the Father to mediate for your sin. So that you can be free. Free from sin and death. Free from our fear of death. Free from guilt and shame. No matter what you've done. 
I think of that great passage in Ephesians chapter 3. The love of Christ, how long and wide and high and deep. No place that he can't find you and bring you up. What a blessing today to realize that we are free in Christ. But I know how it goes. Even a free people will give up their freedom when they're blinded. That's something else I'm seeing a lot of today. People just willing. I give up my freedom for this, that, or your approval. We don't give up our freedom in Christ because he died for us. No matter what happens to our country or our culture, we realize that we will live forever because of him. That's what the gospel is all about. Don't give away your freedom. If you choose to follow Jesus Christ, then you are choosing to not follow evil and the evil one. You are betraying the evil one. He's not going to like it. He's still going to come after you, but he can't touch you in Christ because of what he did on that cross and coming out of that tomb. So if you're battling this morning, you're thinking, you know, I'm done. I'm tired of the fight. I just need to give up. Give it a little more time. Can you give it three days? Because a lot can happen when a resurrected Lord enters your life. You can be changed now and forevermore. If you've never obeyed Christ and become a Christian, today is the day to surrender. Look, you can't beat the idea. You can't win that debate. So what do you do? You form a mob and go against him? Or do you say no? I submit, I repent, and I consider myself a free man or a free woman. If you need to be free today, why don't you do that while we stand, while we sing?